Do you have somebody in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share what she's reading with you, thinking that you're going to love her latest selection. And inevitably, you just can't stand that book that they suggested. That's us! We both <laughs> read a lot. Well, I don't even read. I listen. But we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. I enjoy books that build up worlds, invite magic and mystery into our lives. Science fiction and fantasy rule. I listen to a variety, but it's all grounded in reality. You can keep your elves and space operas. Oh, pshaw. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. You're making me read what? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books, and each month we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read she would never have picked up on her own. Even a book that isn't entirely your style may have some redeeming qualities to them, right? I guess we'll see. And this month, I'm ex very excited because we read Straight Man by Richard Russo. And I have to apologize to Mr. Russo. I have, for years and years and years, <laughs> been calling it The Straight Man. And it's just Straight Man. Do you think so, he'd be mad? I don't know. I don't want to alter his work. I don't want to take any liberties. Yeah, but it's just, it's such a tiny word. It's true. Yeah. But he may have been deliberate about it. I don't know. But it... it Adding the word the to a title, it gives it more presence. <laughs> the straight man. You're the only one. The straight man. So this is the, you're making me read what? It could be. <laughs> I'll allow you liberties. You can call it what you need to call it. Well, in the past podcast, we've given a little bit of history of the author. But since Richard Russo is um, current and he's still writing, mm -hmm. I don't feel the need to give a whole lot of background about him other than to say he's a 69-year-old American novelist. And most of his novels are set in small-town upstate New York. So this one is a little bit of a departure because it's set in a fictitious um, college town in Pennsylvania. Mm. And he does lots of small towns. That's his kind of gig. He does. So I didn't know as much about him. Okay. Um, first, I had to check and make sure he wasn't dead because many, <laughs> many of the authors we happen to read have, have passed on. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe he's in that bucket. No, he's not. Very still much alive. Kicking. Yes. And he's still writing, apparently. Mm -hmm. um, I was poking around on his publisher's website, and he released something in 2017. Mm -hmm. And um, he's done a whole wide variety of types of books. Yep. Um, have you read any of his other ones? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've read almost everything. The only thing that I don't think I've read, or I definitely have not read his memoir. Okay. Um, I think I've read everything else, but there may be one that's missing there. But one of my favorite books by him, um, and, and I even contemplated um, selecting it instead of Straight Man is Empire Falls. Okay. And that's the book for which he won the Pulitzer Prize um, for fiction. Okay. And Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward bought the movie rights to that and did a fantastic version of that for HBO. And it was really, really okay. wonderful. I highly recommend it. And he's had a couple of ones that have they've done that with. So, yes. um, Mohawk. Uh, nobody's fool. Nobody's fool. So if you're not a big reader, you just like to listen to us talk about books, <laughs> there's still opportunities for you to actually watch some of these that have been serialized or turned into movies. Right. So I must share this is an American author. Yes, that is true. We are so proud of ourselves. Still male, but American. That's true. He, there, there's no ladies yet, although, uh, spoiler alert, our next month's author is going to be a lady, so I know we're we're branching out. Yes, American, female, who knows what's next? Um, I thought it was really funny though when I was poking around 
um, he's a writer, and mm-hmm. he's been a writer for a long time. But before he was a full-time writer, he was a college professor yes, he in was. an English department. Yes, he was. Oh, it's too on the nose for me. He's he, All of his characters, he really um, nails the uh, middle-aged married guy. And I think a lot of it is a little autobiographical. Maybe not totally. But I think that's Semi. one of the reasons that he's so sympathetic is because I think he's, you know, writing little snippets of his own life. And let me do our little spoiler alert now yeah. <clears throat> because we will discuss the whole book, including the ending and any magical twists, which there shouldn't be magic in this book. Maybe. <laughs> if you haven't yet read the book and you don't want us to spoil anything for you, please stop listening now and join us again after you've read it or decided that you're not going to read it. Yeah. The, this one, there are definitely some spoilers in there because mm-hmm. a lot of the pieces in this book, they, they tie throughout the whole thing. Yep. So you're going to want to take a break, go read the book, and then come back to us. So let me give a quick um, synopsis, and then I want to hear everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that you thought about this. <laughs> okay. So, the summary is that um, our main character, Henry Devereux Jr., otherwise known as Hank, is a reluctant chair of a dysfunctional English department of a small university in Pennsylvania. And he was elected the department chair by his peers because he was the least offensive option. (laughs) Nobody wanted him to be the chair, including himself, but they figured he would do the least damage of anybody else. He really enjoys riling people up. And the book, in fact, opens with his colleague Gracie bashing him in the face with a spiral notebook piercing his nose Mm -hmm. with the wire from the spiral notebook. And kind of true to form, Hank doesn't take offense to it. He knows he deserved it. So that's a little weird. Um, And then... Not if you're Hank. Right. Hank is pretty laid back. Um, And the book follows about a week of his life during budget season of the college. And during this week, he's hounded by his colleagues who think that he has drafted a list of department faculty that he needs to cut. And in a spur-of-the-moment decision, he grabs a goose from the campus pond and threatens to kill a duck a day, which is funny because it's a goose. It's a goose, not a duck. Yeah. Um, but he threat- He makes this threat on TV until he gets a budget. And all the while, he's suffering from a self-diagnosed kidney stone. And after peeing all over himself, he observes his colleagues vote to recall his chairmanship while crawling through the ceiling ductwork. So it's just a series of really ridiculous, yeah. yet somehow believable events. I agree that they're believable. Okay. Which is why you didn't like it, right? <laughs> no, that's fine. I'm fine with realistic fiction. I, I don't mind that. I want to, before I tell you my my pros, cons, and eh moments, because uh-huh. I, um, when I'm reading the book, I use little post-it notes. Yes. So I, I'm, Christine listens, I read a physical book or an e-book, but for these ones, they're mostly physical. And I put a little post-it note with notes so that I can go back afterwards and jot down all my things and compile them. My goal has always been to start reading these books far enough in advance. Yeah, how that how's that going? That the post-it notes would be helpful because I've been like, oh, I started this two weeks ago. I don't remember what happened on this page. Oh, this note helps me. <laughs> that has not worked out to form. So this one I had the best of intentions. I started reading this book maybe two weeks ago, and I cannot tell you how many times I read the first page. <laughs> so you're at, supposed at to turn dozen. the page. I yes. That's that, the way that's, books work. That's how your motor function wants you to do it. Right. You finish a page, you turn the book, you keep going. I couldn't do it. I was having a real hard time. So um, I think by the beginning of this week, I had gotten maybe 80 pages in. Hmm. 
So I crammed through the remaining 300 pages last night and this morning. Lovely. So the post-it notes have been helpful in that they <laughs> let me go back to note things, but mostly I read it the day of and before. So um, everybody out there listening, dear listeners, thank you. Uh, please send me good thoughts next month for reading things in advance so that I don't wake up at 3.30 again to finish this book. Although the next book is going to be my choice, so maybe it'll go a little easier. I kind of feel like I know how what kind of student you were. <laughs> oh, you do. You absolutely do. That is exactly how I treated class assignments and papers. Lovely. Oh, yeah. Papers. Yes. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Okay, so. So the book. What do you think? I, I'm really mixed on this one. Okay. There were a lot of things I enjoyed about it. There were a lot of things I very much did not enjoy about it. Okay. And there were an equal amount of things that I was like, oh, that was interesting, but... Okay. So I'm going to talk about the things I liked first. Sure. Because there were a lot of them. Good. Um, I'm kind of surprised by that because when I started reading this book again after having recommended it to you, because I haven't read or listened to it in probably 10 years. Oh, okay. So I was going just on memory, and I was like, oh, I think she'll like this book. And then as I started reading it, I thought, yeah, no, No, not so much. So I'm I'm very interested to hear. So – one of the things I liked the most about this book is the family dynamic aspect. Yeah. All of us have some kind of a family. Yep. Your family might be totally put together. Your holiday season is great. Your your menu is on the table. You open your presents on time. Or you might be entirely dysfunctional. <laughs> uh, you might have a family you've made up of colleagues. Who mm-hmm. knows? But everyone has made some kind of family for right. themselves. And so the family that he's created in the not the straight man, excuse me, in straight man, no, Thank you. no the, uh, I found to be really relatable. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what I enjoy in books is character development and place development. And he did a really nice job of that. Yeah. So Hank Henry Devereaux Jr., um, although I did not like him. Oh, interesting. Did not like him. Okay. Um, he was very relatable to mm-hmm. other archetypes of people that I've either read in other stories or pieced together or people that are in my own life. Sure. And his interactions and relationships with his spouse, with his parents, with his colleagues and his boss and his own children, all of them were very true to who he was as a developed character. Right. Uh, His parents were awful. (laughs) And my parents were – I loved my parents. They were great people. And his parents were awful. And so I'd read these little snippets where he was interacting with his father who was a longtime adulterer. And Mm -hmm. he's now entered this phase in his life where he needs assisted care for some things. And, of course, I'm thinking, well, uh, ha, ha, ha. You get that because you cheated a whole bunch and left your family. Right. And um, the mother was just dingy. Like I could not figure out – if she was delusional or if she was just too proud for herself to move past yeah, things. I think she was just a, an incredible snob because the way that she treated Mr. Purdy, who oh, was like yeah. this earnest, lovely, kind of bumbling, yeah. you know, like salt of the earth person, yeah. but so genuine and kind. Yeah. And she just did not give him the time of day because she was too snobby that he mispronounced words. Yeah. But she didn't even think he could read. Right. Which I'm sure he could read. Absolutely. But he would do anything for her. And he did even though he knew that she didn't respect him. So I was kind of torn about him because I want to kind of pick him up by his bootstraps and say, quit wasting your time on this snobby lady. But at the same time, he is who he is. Yeah. Well, and the family dynamics in this book play out – Mostly in a linear fashion. Mm -hmm. So the start of the book is a short story that tells a little bit about Hank's childhood. And then it's progressing. Once you get into the main story, it's him in this week long. And he's almost 50 at this point. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but you get all these little flashbacks as well. So you find out that his father left the family when he turned 12 and his mother never really got over it. And right. his dad went from uh, woman to woman. And now eventually his needs this assisted care. And his mom just picks it right back up again and says, yep. well, now we've gotten I've waited 40 years and we're back to this place where it's finally where I wanted it again. Right. So she made me kind of sad. Yeah. But. That was her character in this. Right. And so I can respect that he developed a character. He stood true to it. Mm -hmm. And all the relationships that circled around it fit in with that. Right. Did you like one of the things <laughs> I liked about that was how they named the mistresses by the um, oh, yeah. the author that, that of the, the uh -huh. class they were studying? Oh, yeah. So the, the first uh, the first. Uh, lady yes. that the father left with was the D.H. Lawrence woman. Right. And then the last one was the Virginia Wolf lady. <laughs> so the mom couldn't even care to figure out what their names were because they weren't people to her. Right. They were impediments in this academic process right. to get her husband back. And this is just a tiny part of the story, but yeah. there was this very kind of... Um, not cyclical, but there was a reoccurrence mm -hmm. in different familial traits. And some of them were very pointed, like... Uh, Hank and his wife, Lily, uh, have this house that they mm -hmm. built, and their youngest daughter, uh, who is very needy mm -hmm. and likes, dramatic. likes things and dramatic, mm -hmm. decides to build this house with her husband in the same neighborhood as her parents, and she takes the plans for her parents' house to build her own house. Right. So it's the exact same house. Right. And so those are obvious, like... Okay, you can see these kind of things playing out over time. And But one of the things that I loved about that is that Hank and Lily's house is comfortable and warm and yeah. this supportive environment. And Julie and Russell's house is this disaster that just is totally um, ineffective, even though it's exactly the same plan. And that's a lovely yeah. metaphor um, of what brings you comfort and why are, mm -hmm. why are sometimes identical things so, so different. different. Yes. Yeah. And there's, there's a couple of those cyclical imagery things. So Hank's father is an adulterer and leaves. Mm -hmm. And throughout the course of this book, he's having these really vivid daydreams of his <laughs> wife cheating on him right. and of himself cheating on his wife. Or just falling in love with somebody. Yes. yes. At, at the end, he says they're just crushes. He's only half in love with these multitude of women that he imagines someday he could maybe do something with. So he's trying so hard not to be his father, right. which... You know, all of us have parents of some form. And when you're a teenager, you're doing your darndest to make sure you are the exact opposite of your parents. Right. But as time goes on, you end up just being your parents because that's, that's how life works. works. And, you know, he's 50 now. He may be having a midlife crisis. He may not be having a midlife crisis. And he's imagining these scenes that are almost byplays of what his <laughs> father did. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, he uh, imagined he has a kidney stone, which right. is a disease his father and his grandfather had. Right. So he's he's got this thing in his head where he can't get past him own self, his own self, to who he wants to be. Part of what I did not like about this book was Hank himself. Okay, so tell me about that. Yeah. His character was fully developed. Right. He stayed true to himself. He was appropriate within the scope of the, the frame here. But he was such a teenager. Oh, that is definitely true. He, yeah, yeah. I mean, even the the um, the kidney stone thing. So right. throughout the course of the story, uh, he has to pee. He can't pee. He wants to pee. He thinks he's got a kidney stone. He goes to the doctor. They tell him he doesn't. He's, he's demanding that he does have it. <laughs> and so all of these little scenes, it's like this reoccurring pee joke 
throughout the whole book, <laughs> which is so juvenile to me. And one of the best scenes in the book is the one that you mentioned earlier about him. He fell asleep. He accidentally peed on himself. Can't let anyone see him. So he crawls up into the rafters <laughs> and listens to a meeting about himself. And it was just such a like, you are a 50-year-old man. Uh-huh. What are you doing in the rafters? Uh-huh. Get out of there. Don't pee on people. Or yourself. Or drip. Yes. Just come on. Let's move past that. He, um, in the first section, he talks about how his own parents didn't like him as a child because right. he was too energetic and he had too much going on. And well, there he was, was a child. They were very they were academic. Child they didn't like people. that. And when you're a child, sure, yes, do, do whatever you need to. But there, there appeared to be little impetus for him as an adult to grow over time. He was willing to continue being the straight man, the mm-hmm. guy that made jokes and didn't take anything seriously, didn't want to promote, got put into a position because nobody thought he'd do anything. <laughs> so I just didn't respect him a lot. Right, right. Uh, I still think it was a good story and he was a fine character. I just did not enjoy him. Got it. Which, you know, it's not a bad thing. Right. Did you like him? I, I Yes, I like um I think he's sort of bewildered, but I think he, like you said, he's true to himself. Mm-hmm. Um, a very early quote in the book that tickles me is he says, it's hard to remain dist- distinguished among people who know you. <laughs> it's true. And yeah. For him, that's very true because he really, he literally can't help himself. He is so juvenile, like you said, mm-hmm. and um, it's like his main mission in life is just to irritate people. And so... That's horrible. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is very silly. But I think he also, I think it's... He finds the good in people. Um, He obviously, one of the things that I love about the book is that we learn about his wife, Lily, really through his admiration of her, Mm -hmm. his descriptions of her. And he calls her the oracle because she knows everything. Um, (laughs) But it's not in a way, like he says things like, I'm surprised this wonderful woman loves me. But you kind of know why he loves, why she loves Mm -hmm. him. And so it's not like in a way where he's so mystified, how could I have gotten this lucky? I think he's realistic about it. Um, Sure. And I I love, like, another person that that I, whose descriptions that I loved was his secretary, Rachel. Oh, she was wonderful. She's a lovely, lovely person. And um, this book was actually one of the early things where I noticed the speech pattern of people ending sentences with their voice going up as though oh, everything's a question. Yes. And that so the book was written in 1997 and I think that was sort of just starting to be a popular thing and now everybody does it and so you're constantly wondering if people really are asking you something. Let me tell you about this book. Yeah, exactly. Yes, you got yes, it. Yeah. So Rachel one of the the kind of ongoing themes is he says Rachel wasn't sure if she was entitled to the anger she was feeling. And so I think that's kind of where Richard Rousseau is coming from, where people feel a certain way. They're not really sure they should. They're trying to hide it, but it's still there, and it manifests itself in kind of funny ways. Well, all all of the characters in this book played a part. Yeah. And they were all – they all collaborated with each other. Mm-hmm. So none of them really butted heads a lot, although one of them jabbed another one with a, a, a piece of twine – no, the pokey thing from the yeah, Spiral, the spiral notebook. notebook. right. They all played really well together to move the story forward, and they right. all had a part. I just didn't really like Hank. Sure. Yeah, and you don't have to like characters and right. stories for it to be a good story. Right. He just um, – But that, I, that does help. When I read – a so when I read a science fiction or fantasy book, 
I know that I'm not in that world. Right. And so I don't oftentimes put myself into it because right. as much as I would love for there to be unicorns and dragons in life, I, you know, I'm right. realistic as well. With a book like this, I oftentimes find myself putting myself into certain character shoes. I could not be married to him. <laughs> oh, no. no and no, no, so no. that was really hard for me to right. keep reading because I kept thinking, oh, Lily, you moved to Philadelphia. <laughs> you'll find, you'll be fine. Get out you'll you be fine. Can. Exactly. And that's just how I process <laughs> right. different types of fiction. Right. One of the other pieces of this that I s- struggled to like, even though I felt like I should, was the humor. Okay. So I found most of the funny moments in this book to be very logically funny. They weren't like, oh, ha, 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 like right, laughing right. from your gut. Wow, that's yeah. amusing. It was more, I'd read something and I'd go, oh, that's funny, Yeah, which is not as fun for me. I okay. want something that's surprising or that's really amusing. And that's just what I enjoy. So um, in one of the very first parts, um, he's trying to p- convince his parents to buy him a dog. Right. And he takes all of his uh, allowance money, and he buys a bejeweled dog collar. Right. And I read that, and I thought, well, that's kind of amusing. Right. And there's a lot of pieces like that. Like, he's jogging. He likes to go jogging. He's mm-hmm. decided he's almost 50. He needs to do this jogging thing. Um, and when he jogs, he jogs down his hill, and then he has a choice. He can either jog to the left, and it takes him towards town, or he can jog to the right, and it takes him into the woods. And he says, well, I'm going to jog into the woods because I didn't buy this nice house to keep going back into gross town. Right. And there's all these little things I think, oh, okay. Right. Yeah, that that could be funny. Right. But it just didn't gut strike me enough. Yes. Yeah. So as I said, I read this book a long time ago, and I enjoyed it immensely when I first read it. Rereading it um, for the podcast made me realize how incredibly sarcastic it is. I. I had forgotten. I mean, I thought it was funny, but not yeah. necessarily sarcastic. But it's really sarcastic. So if that is not your gig, he will put you off right away because yeah. he just can't help himself. No, and that's his style. Right. He's He's got really clear thematic interests. Mm-hmm. Small town, localized family, however you make it. Um, this one happened to be focused on academia. Yes. Which another one where I – this one was more like a – I get it. Yeah, yeah I have yeah. never been in this situation. Is that real? Right. Like, are you really spending that many hours arguing about a position that is not funded that you want to staff? Right. So, in the book, they're trying to hire a new chair for the English department, right. and it's been vacant for a while. They don't know if it's funded, but they've spent a year <laughs> getting a applications, committee. having right. the search committee, figuring out what the interview question is going to be, and these endless meetings. And it just you sit there and you think, oh. I, I need to not do this. I need a break. <laughs> I need a nap. I need to go away from it. So the that particular part of the play setting was a little little off for me. But I think uh, others of his books, if they're not specific around academia, might have a more compelling process there. And I would say that his other books, I don't think, are um, quite as sarcastic. They are okay. funny, but not. This was this was just dripping with sarcasm, which I hadn't remembered <laughs> it that way. Yeah. Um, now, can I tell you one thing that I yeah. absolutely love about this book? So um, I think Richard Russo does a really good job with um, few words. And okay. an example of that is he. one of the quotes is, someone left the cake out in the rain and I'll never have the recipe again. I've always feared the day would come when that lyric makes sense. And now that day is apparently here. <laughs> so... That is a reference to MacArthur Park, which is one of the worst songs ever written in the history of music, as told by Dave Barry, the the humor columnist. He actually did a reader survey, and it won for both worst lyric and worst song. Mm. So, and that's that was in the late '60s, early '70s, 
And um, so I think that Richard Russo successfully, um, with just that one quote, evoked this terrible feeling where a whole bunch of white um, baby boomers went, oh, my God, I totally get it. I hope I never live long enough for that song to make sense to me because it's the worst song ever. I agree with you that he has a wonderful turn of phrase, but the quote that you just gave, totally over my head. Of course. No idea what you're talking about. Of course. And one of my comments I wrote down is that this book is certainly got some dated metaphors in of it. Co- yes, so very much so. At one point, um, they have a dog mm-hmm. um, named Occam's Razor, which I thought was very amusing. And the yes. whole theme of Occam's Razor throughout was enjoyable. And... Um, th- the wife, Lily, is talking about how the dog is grinning like someone named Gilbert Rowland. And I was like, I don't know who that is. So I had to go look it up. And I was still like, oh, OK, thanks for that. Right. So there were a couple of pieces in there where there were uh, character call outs or, or yes. really specific pointed quotes or metaphors that I thought, OK, this was written 20 years ago. I can see that. And that's yep. OK. Right. But it was it's starting to edge in there. He knew his audience. Like he was yes. playing to a very certain select you know, yeah, but I will. I I want you to like this, so I'm going to um, reel you in with this. <laughs> the person who mo- who first um, recorded that god awful song that an entire generation hates, sure, and that's just science. I'm not. That's not my opinion. It's science. Sure, science. Um, we have data. <laughs> is none other than Richard Harris, who you know as Dumbledore. Okay. The actor. Don't ruin Dumbledore for me. Yes. So. <laughs> I thought my love for Duran Duran, which helped me out with Neverwhere, your Dumbledore affinity could help you out with this book. But I see I've missed the mark. No, it's okay. We're going to read Harry Potter at some point, and then we'll both love Dumbledore for the appropriate reasons. Okay, fair enough. I want to say one last thing before we, we wrap up on this particular story, which was the whole piece about the duck goose. Yes. Super amusing. Yes. Liked the whole thing. Loved the imagery of this band of protesters <laughs> outside of this pond trying to support these geese that were trying to bite them. Yes. Yeah, that was that And they're was honking right and they're on. chasing them around. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there were overall this book was not objectionable. It was fine. <laughs> what high praise. Uh, yeah, I'm trying. It's, uh, it was fine. I, I read it. I wouldn't unread it. I okay. think there were a lot of things in there that were really good about it. It's not anything I ever would have picked up on my own. Sure. And I'm not sad that I read it. Okay. There are a specific group of people I think I could recommend this to. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm taking that as old, old I, white people. I did not say that. <laughs> and I will not say that. I will. <laughs> well, I uh, want to share that our book for next month is a little bit different. So, so far, we've done a lot of British mm-hmm. uh, men, mm-hmm. authors, and this is a, an American female author. Hooray! Who knew that they were out there? We did. We're librarians. Right. But we finally picked a book that actually meets that criteria. So this, and this is also a departure. This is a nonfiction book. Yippee! Which I do read nonfiction. It's not my usual cup of tea, but this particular author and the type of book she writes are fantastic. So next month, we're going to be reading Stiff, The Curious Lives of Human Cadavers by Ew. Mary Roach. It sounds really gross. It really does. But it's not. It's um, it's a nonfiction account by a journalist about how human bodies are used after a person has died. So they talk about uh, medical uses and things over time. It's really – it sounds creepy, but it's fascinating. So – Prepare yourself. I'm just 
mentally preparing myself for how many times I'm going to pass out. Oh, okay. Well, you know, this is a podcast. We can edit that out. You'll be fine. No, no, not during the podcast, during the listening to the book. Oh, maybe don't gross. Maybe don't drive. Right. I will not do that. Okay, good. I think that's an excellent choice. Thanks. So thank you for joining us on You're Making Me Read What? Even if this particular book wasn't your cup of tea, there are millions more where that came from. And don't forget, you can always grab these books and lots more at your local library. So please do join us next month when we will be discussing Stiff, The Curious Lives of Human Cadavers by Mary Roach. Thank you so much and keep on reading.